ask the guys in, in the back, you know, help me with something real quick. I didn't ask you beforehand, but, but you don't have to give a speech or anything. So if you don't mind just to, to help me for a second, I've got something to hand out. We just took the offer, now we'll give you something. Is that all right? All right. It's kind of, it's, it's, you know, if you, if you gave this morning, what I'm going to give you back is probably not worth what you gave, but you're going to get something anyway. All right. So guys, why don't you help me out? You fellas take that side. Austin, you and I will take this side over here. Here you start. Take one of those and um, and pass it down. And like I said, I'm going to have to trust you not to be distracted the whole time because I know what a good-looking crowd this is, and I know you can't help but just look at yourself over and over and over in that mirror. And that's true. Some of you probably looked in the mirror this morning, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to place your mirror just to the side for a second. I tell our Sunday night crowd quite often, I used to teach sophomores in high school. And unfortunately, we don't really change as we grow up. We're distracted and all that. I understand how it goes. And so, anyway, I'd like for you to place your mirror off the side. I want you to take out your bulletin and turn, turn it over and grab a little pop quiz. Speaking of school, a little quiz. And this quiz is only for those who were here last week. So if you, if you weren't here last week, you're off the hook. How about that? You don't have to take quiz. If you didn't hear the sermon last week, you are off the hook. Now, here's the pop quiz. I just, on the back of your bulletin, I just want you to see if you can if you can answer these questions based upon the sermon last week. How about that? Some of you are already nervous. Listen, you don't get a grade on this, right? Only God is going to know. How about that? I'm going to sit God on you. All right, so, all right, from last week's sermon, I gave you the sermon in a sentence toward the end, and I actually gave it at the beginning as well, that authentic Christians refuse to let the Scripture become what? Write it down if you know. Refuse to let the Scripture become what? Let's see if you were listening. See if you were paying attention. See what you remember. I try each week to give you the sermon just in one statement that you can sort of take back and remember that was the theme we were talking about. All right, so write it down. Some of you are cheating, looking on somebody else's paper. He stole my answer, something like that. All right? See, what, what, what do you remember? Authentic Christians refuse to let the Scripture become... Well, all right, we'll come back to that in a second. Now, I also gave you an assignment last week. Uh, based upon the theme of what we talked about, I gave you an assignment to do something each day. There, there, was, there was one thing that I challenged and asked you to do just, just once each day. And I gave you several ways to do that, several places you could find the, the answers, basically, to that assignment. And if, you, if you remember what the assignment was, just once each day, do this. Write that down. Let's see, let's see what, you, what you got. So the first is authentic Christians refuse to let the Scripture become what? And then secondly, what was the assignment that I asked you to participate in this last week. Once each day, do this. I fully realize that for many of us here, it is, and not just here, but I think in many churches, if not all churches, I would say across the country and around the world, that, that by Monday morning, Sunday sermon is gone. Sometimes... By the time you pay for your meal on Sunday afternoon, it's gone. Sometimes, by the time you shake my hand and walk out the door and tell me, hey, that was great, it's gone. Isn't that true? The answers to your quiz 
Authentic Christians refuse to let the Scripture become background noise. Man, I missed it. Oh, I, had, I was this close. I was on the tip of my tongue. Or maybe you got it wrong because your neighbor got it wrong and you cheated off them. I don't know. Blame it on them. The assignment was to listen to one sermon each day. Now, maybe some of you crammed, and yesterday you thought, okay, all right, I finally remember, I'm going to listen to seven, because I, you know, I didn't get them all in. All right. But the idea last week, of course, was that, that one test of true faith, of authentic Christianity, is our reception of the Scripture. Do we eagerly go after it? Is it really what we want, first and foremost, front and center in our lives? And certainly, if you did not listen to a sermon each week, or each day rather, that doesn't mean that you don't like the Scripture. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not legalism. But it is, it is interesting how often sometimes we'll hear something, and, and it'll resonate with us a little bit, and then that's sort of where it ends. I'm really thankful for the book of James, because as we've seen so far in the last couple of weeks, James gives us the tests for authentic Christianity. Helping us to see, without any doubt, am I a Christian or not? You know, you don't have to be confused about that. There's, there's no reason for you to go through life hoping or wondering, well, do I really know God or not? Am I, am I really bound for eternal life in heaven or not? There's no reason for you to guess. The Bible makes it very clear on several ways that you can know. And James lays out many of those ways, and he gives us some tests. Remember a few weeks ago, we looked at the, the test of trials, how do you respond to difficult circumstances in your life? Do you respond by trusting God and asking Him for wisdom and, and trying to see His perspective and so that you can consider those things joy, James says in verse 2. That's one test of authentic Christianity is how you respond to those things. That doesn't mean that every single time you have a trial in your life that your perfect response there just dictates, well, I, I must be a Christian, you know. But it's the pattern. It's, it's the desire to see what God is doing and and we looked at, the, at, the, at the, uh, the test of temptations. How do you respond to temptation? Do you take it seriously? Do you take sin seriously? And that is because you take God seriously. That's a sign, a, a test of authentic Christianity. But those who don't take temptation seriously, who just run headlong into sin, and that's the pattern of their lives, there's a good chance that they don't know Jesus, the Bible says. And, and then we, we looked at last week the the test of our reception of God's Word. And how if, there is, if there's no desire within you whatsoever, right, just no desire to even hear God's Word, you just sort of tolerate it, you come because somebody invited you or your parents will get mad at you or you figure, well, I guess I need to feel a little better today. But there's really no desire inside of you to hear God's Word, to receive it. There's no eagerness. There's no humility. There's no letting it sink in. There's no, hey, this is what life is all about. And James lends itself to saying there's a good chance authentic in your Christianity. And then we get to this week, and I think we, we see in our homes and in our workplaces and in our churches that many people have fallen into the trap of hearing and not doing. You know what the next verse is after James talks about our reception of the Word? It's, it's James 1.22, famous verse, be a doer of the Word and not a hearer only. And isn't that true in many of our churches, many of our homes? And I, I get you with a pop quiz this morning, not to, to hammer you, but just to highlight the fact that isn't it easy sometimes to hear something and almost let it go in one ear and out the other, 
maybe even like what we heard, maybe even appreciate what we hear, what we read in the Scripture, and then nothing happens. Listen, you know, I, I've fallen into that trap. Have you been there and done that? You know what I'm talking about? James says one test, one probably the, the greatest litmus test for authentic faith is what you do with what you've heard. And so we see this morning in James uh, that particular theme. I think it's epidemic, unfortunately, in homes, in churches, in schools, in workplaces, that that many times, and I say epidemic because I think it's true, we have so many people who will hear and hear and hear and think and understand and get what the Scripture is saying and yet not apply it, not do anything with it. And parents, I want to tell you, I read something this last week where an evangelistic speaker had just given his big sermon and a young man walks up to him. And he was talking, of course, the guy was talking about living out your faith and making it evident in your life and having it then impact those around you. And this young man walks up to the speaker and he says, I want you to know that you are a liar and a jerk. And the guy says, well, hold on, man. wait, wait, we don't even know one another. He says, why, why do you say that? He said, you know what? He said, he said, my parents have gone to church for years and years and years and years. And, 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 yeah, maybe maybe they think that they've got something in their lives going on. He said, but you know what? It never affects anything that happens in our home. There's a huge disconnect. This guy heard about Jesus, and he says, no, no, Jesus. He, he said, you're a jerk. You're a liar for talking to me about Jesus. He says, why? Because I don't see it lived out in my home. Parents, there's a good reason why maybe your kids don't live according to the Scripture the way that you'd like them to. And certainly it's not all one-way street. hope you understand my heart. But there is a good chance in many homes that if the Scripture is not lived out, and if it does not affect our behavior, then they will see right through our hypocrisy. Been there and done that? Well, I'll tell you what I have. My kids are still young, but I've experienced that already. You know, at your workplace, I, I attended the funeral on Friday of a man who, who died in, a, in an accident in Louisville. He was 50 years old, and, and many of his co-workers showed up there. It's a large plant that he works at, and he died in the fall. And many of his co-workers were there, and, and it, was, it was amazing. I had a perspective. I sort of sat to the side and was able to see the, the majority of the crowd. And as the pastor was preaching this man's funeral, and he talked about how he this guy lived it out, that he was bold for his faith, and that there was no doubt to those around him, whether they were in his church or at his workplace, that he was a Christian. I saw co-workers whom I could not tell whether they were saved or not, just nodding their heads. And I'm sure some of them probably were Christians, some of them probably were not, but they recognized this guy lived it out. He not only heard it, but he did something about it. I wonder how many people in our workplaces look at us and say, well, I know you go to church, and I know you claim to be a Christian, but I don't really see anything that reflects that. I wonder how many people in our schools, for young people, the school rounds to a close this year. How many people know you are a, a churchgoer? You talk about your church activities. Well, I'm going to camp. We're, we're doing this. We're doing that. And yet, in your lifestyle, they don't see you doing what they apparently know that you're hearing. I think it's epidemic, unfortunately. And I certainly don't mean today to put it down or make things legalistic. But I want us to be clear that the Scripture says we need to be doers and not just 
hearers. I really think that evangelism, the reaching of people who are far from God, who are lost and dying, and if they die without God, will go to hell. I think evangelism is hampered. I think relationships are destroyed. I think sin runs rampant because many people who claim to be Christians never put into practice what they hear. And so today I hope that we can see the challenge from James and respond accordingly. Of course, James, as I mentioned, gives us some tests on our faith. We've looked at a few of those. This morning we'll look at another. If you've got your Bible handy, I'd like for you to turn with me to James chapter 1. We're going to pick up this morning where we left off last week, and we'll be looking at verses 22 to 25. Now, a secondary assignment last week for you was to read this particular scripture. I hope you did. I hope some of you are familiar with this coming into this morning that you sort of let this thing resonate in your minds, and for many of you, uh, this will be a familiar passage of Scripture. But I think it's great uh, that James includes it here and not just glosses over it. Let's look at what he says in verse 22. After talking to them about their hearing and reception of the Word, he says, But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, He is a man, he's like a man, looking at his face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and right away forgets what kind of man he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who acts, this person will be blessed in what he does. So James will give us another test or revelation of what we can look at as authentic Christianity and He says, be a doer and not just a hearer. You know, the truth is we know that. I'm not telling you anything this morning that you haven't already heard. You know that. You know that behavior is the true test of of faith. You know that you can't claim, just claim, oh, I know Jesus and not live it out. You know that. Even the person who is far from God this morning knows that that really, in essence, you know, the Bible calls for commitment. It doesn't call for a claim to faith. What does it call it? A commitment to Jesus. And so we... We know this. It's not, it's not news to us. We know the Bible is full of passages highlighting this theme. Over in Joshua, maybe you want to write down some of these references. You go back and look at them later on and just see how this theme is woven throughout Scripture, that we are to be doers and not just hearers. Joshua chapter 1, uh, look at verse, in, in verse 7. Just write that down. Above all, God talking to Joshua, be strong and very courageous to carefully observe, that means do, the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you will have success wherever you go. Then he says in verse 8, Joshua 1, this book of instruction, that's talking about God's word, must not depart from your mouth. You are to recite it day and night so that you may carefully observe or do everything written in it. So we know this is a theme way back from the Old Testament. The people of Israel were told, don't just hear what God is saying, do it. And, and, and God says, you'll be blessed if you do. And, and if you don't, there will be curses. That's what the, the nation of Israel knew. Jesus highlights this as well in Matthew in chapter 7. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, in the greatest sermon ever preached, he gives this truth. He says in verse 24 of chapter 7, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them or does them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rock of what? Scripture, the teachings of Jesus. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock, on doing the Scripture. But everyone who hears these words of mine and 
doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed, and great was its collapse. Jesus highlights that as well. Then we get over in John chapter 14, verse 15, and Jesus says, You are my disciples, you are my friends, if you do what I command you. He says, if you do it, then you are truly showing that you are my disciples. He says in Matthew, also Matthew chapter 7, you'll know people by their fruit, by their behavior, by what comes out of them. Then we see in 1 John, a great book. If, you, if you've never read the book of 1 John, I encourage you to do it. It's a short book that you get through uh, really almost in one sitting. You could probably uh, take a week or so and study it. 1 John chapter 2, John, the, the, the apostle here is writing, and he says, uh, beginning in verse 3, he says, This is how we are sure that we have come to know him. You want to know how you, how do you know if, if you're a Christian? And how can I really, really, really be sure? How can I remove any doubt whatsoever? You ever struggle with doubt? Read First John. He says, This is how we are sure that we have come to know him, by keeping his commands. Not by a warm, fuzzy feeling. Not by trying to jump through a bunch of hoops. and Not by perfect attendance at church. Uh, not by just memorizing scripture and getting gold stars when you were a kid. I got a lot of gold stars when I was a kid. Doesn't mean I'm a Christian. By keeping his commandments. The one who says, verse 4, the one who says, I have come to know him without keeping his commands. You want to know what the Bible says about those who say, well, I know Jesus, but I, yeah, you know, I don't really live it out. I mean, yeah, I'm a Christian, but, you know, the grief. And we're talking just, you know, I go to church. He says, the one who says... I have come to know him without keeping his commandments is a what? You know what the scripture says? A liar. Hmm. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is perfected. This is how we are in him. The one who says he remains in him or knows Jesus should walk or live as he, Jesus, lived. He says in verse 7, I'm not writing you a new command. I knew this. This isn't news to us. We know this, but it's good to have a reminder. Later in 1 John in chapter 5, he says this, verse 3, For this is what love for God is. How do we love God? Well, it's not just in words, John says. He says this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. Jesus would say, how can you say you love me or follow me if you don't do what I say? And so the test is always obedience to the Scripture. It's always doing what we have heard. It's not just saying, it's not just knowing, and it's certainly not just hearing, though we looked last week at the importance of hearing. But if all we do is hear and hear and hear and hear and hear and never do, then James says we are deceived. We are fooling ourselves. What an incredible truth. And so why is it then? Why is it that Christians or or folks who claim to be Christians are hearers and not doers? Well, we've forgotten what does the Bible say. And it says very plainly throughout Scripture that authentic Christians are changed by God's Word and not just changed in some really sort of out there way. And, oh, I just think different thoughts. No, no, no. We're changed and it shows. It comes out. Does that mean perfection? No, that just means there is a changing in our in our heart that reflects in our behavior. So that is the theme for today, that 
Authentic Christians are changed by God's Word, and it shows. So why then are many people hearers and not doers? If we know that, if we know that, that really, real Christianity is not based upon just what we say or what we hear, but on how we then live out what we say we have heard, why are so many people, even in this church and in churches around our community and across our country, why are so many people, and you know them, are so many people only hearers and not doers? I think James gives us some really very simple reasons. The first is this, deception. You'll see those on the back of your bulletin on the screen behind me. One reason that many people are hearers and not doers is because they are deceived. Look at verse 22. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That word deceiving there is, uh, when it's used in mathematics, if you're a numbers person, that's a miscalculation. You didn't add it up right. Two plus two, you thought equaled five. James says, wait a minute, that's kind of stupid. That doesn't make sense. That's foolish. He says, how can you say that you are an authentic Christian if you don't do what you have heard? He said, you've you've miscalculated. If If you think that you really are a believer in Jesus Christ and you don't do instead of just hearing, so you miscalculated. You, you're off base. What, what have you miscalculated about? What, what, what are we deceived about? He says, about our salvation. Very, very simply put, about our salvation. There, there is, many, there, I really believe there are many people, maybe some sitting here today, who truly believe they are Christians because of, of, a, of a pattern of going to church. Or, well, I made a decision, I think, way back then. And there's been no change whatsoever. James, I believe, would say, and I think the Bible supports it as a whole, we're deceived. We believe that. Now, I'm not here to scare you or to cause you to doubt, but I certainly want to put the mirror of God's Word in front of us today and have it reflect back to us, are we authentic or are we not? So it's easy to be deceived because maybe you've heard and heard and heard, or you've attended church, you, you play along and you smile and you have some knowledge, or maybe like the gentleman that I spoke with last week, a guy named Willie stopped by my office. Older gentleman, his grandson came with him and drove him, and he came to my office, never met him before, just wanted to talk to a preacher. And I have those random conversations from time to time, and it's sort of interesting if you ever wanted to be a, a preacher, a pastor, you can come and talk to me. Well, well, I'll help you understand some of the interesting parts of it. Gentleman stopped by, and I never met him. He was very hard of hearing, and so we had to shout back and forth to one another, which made it even more interesting in my office, yelling at one another that we weren't mad. And so it was kind of interesting. And, and Willie stopped by, and, and he just began to explain to me his life. He was probably in his 80s, I would guess, probably early 80s. And he began to explain how, you know, hey, I was, I was baptized in the Baptist church when I was 10, but, and he began to rattle off his life since then, of all the things that really he, he, he just was now realizing, you know what, he'd been convicted by the Lord, I believe, on these things, and how he had treated his family, and the things he had done, and so on and so forth, and, and I really felt, you know what, I, I can't say for sure, though it's never my place to say for sure, I can't say that I really thought that Willie was an authentic Christian beginning at age 10. Though he was baptized in the Baptist church, how about that? Why? Because there was no pattern of change in his life. There was nothing that would suggest that Jesus really had come into his life, that Willie had truly given his life to Jesus. 
Now, if he had just had some ups and downs, and okay, I slide back a little bit, but my heart is still set on following God, okay, then I would say, you know what, I think you've just fallen into a pattern of sin, let's repent, let's get that back on track with what God wants. But I felt compelled to present the gospel to Willie, because it was evident to me that based upon his doing of the word, there probably wasn't a lot of authenticity there in his faith. Does that make sense? I hope it does. And I don't know if you look back on your life and you say, you know what, I, I, yeah, I, I, I um, you know, I, I lit some, uh, uh, you know, some s'mores on fire next to, you know, next to the campfire, and I sang a couple of songs, and we sang Kumbaya, and I really felt the presence of God there. And I guess that's when I became a Christian. But since then, or maybe, maybe, I, yeah, I was baptized when I was eight years old, and, you know, I just kind of felt like, you know, a couple of my friends were going, and so I, I figured I should too. Um, you know, my parents really wanted me to do that, and so I thought it was special for them. But since then, I, there's been really no change. There hasn't been anything different. I think James would say we've got to take a close look in the mirror of God's Word and say, is our faith really authentic? Do not be deceived. Maybe you've done that, made that commitment you thought, or said that prayer, and yet there's been no change. Maybe today you realize, you know what, I, I want to be sure that I really want you in my life. It's not saying you'll be perfect. Please don't misread me. It's not saying that, that if you've committed a sin since you've been a Christian, that somehow you weren't saved to begin with. Please don't misread me. I, I became a Christian when I was eight years old. It was a legitimate decision. I was broken knowing I needed a Savior. committed my life to Jesus. And you realize that every major sin that I remember committing has been as a Christian. Every one of them. Does that mean I'm not a Christian? No, that doesn't mean that. I can tell you what, my heart is crushed when I sin. It's crushed. It may not be just immediately, but most of the time it is. God is all over me. Maybe you've experienced that. I would say to you, if you're a person, you know what, I've been sinning and sinning and sinning, but God has been all over me. I would say probably your faith is authentic. Respond to God. Turn back to Him. Repent. You know, some analogies work here. You know, it's like the sports fan who knows everything about the game, who can talk about the players and analyze all that kind of stuff, but they've never played a game in their life. They're not an athlete. They're somebody who knows about athletes. Or it's like a person who audits a class in college. What do they do? They, they listen, but they don't do any of the work. You just sit there and audit the class. Hey, it's great. I don't have any responsibility. Many times we approach Jesus like, oh, yeah, I like what he had to say. He's a good teacher. It's great. But yeah, that's where it stops. James says, don't deceive yourselves. So James says that we are not to be hearers only, but be doers so they won't be deceived. Then, then he gives a great analogy to illustrate it. And I want to roll through this and help you see this analogy. Verses 23 to 24, what does he say? Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, this is great. He is a man, he is like a man looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and right away forgets what kind of man he was. Now, maybe you've read that before and you thought, what does that mean? I mean, how on earth can that happen? Well, here's, here's basically what he's, what he's trying to get across. He says, he's like a man who looks in the mirror. Now, the words he uses here, uh, both uh, looking and, and in the mirror, you have to understand that he's not writing to 21st century Americans uh, who have these perfect mirrors, you know, and, and all you got to do is kind of, you know, use a little Windex, and there you've got it back again. Ancient mirrors for the typical person were made out of beaten down and flattened and sort of polished bronze for the most part. Or maybe if they had a little bit more money, it was made out of silver. If they're really rich, it was made out of gold. Now, you go try to, you know, beat a piece of bronze flat, polish it up real good, and you're going to have to look close to get a good reflection of who you are. 
And so if you turn it just right, kind of angle it a little bit and look in real close, James says, well, you know, you get an idea of what you look like. And he says, it's like a man who looks in that kind of mirror. So you have to look intently and sees his face. And he says, he uses the words, the face of his birth, the natural face, sort of your face when you first get up in the morning. Now, some of you looked at your face this morning. You didn't see the face that you saw earlier this morning, ladies. Now, I'm not getting into it, but I just, I'm just saying that, you know, the face that you've got on this, you know, here at church, probably that face you woke up with this morning. All right? Now, now for some of you, your husband said amen. All right? And so, um, so anyway, you know, but, but that's what James says. He said, you're looking, he said, you're like a man, if you, don't, if you don't do the word, only here, you're like a man who looks really closely in the mirror first thing in the morning, and you see the flaws. You know what I'm talking about? Fellas, you see that you need to shave. You know, you see that you, you know, you've got, you know, some, some things that aren't quite right. Ladies, you, you know, you see what you think needs to be covered up. And then he says, walks away. So it's not as if this person who looks in this mirror has no idea what, what they need to fix. They just don't do it. And, and so I really believe that, that the deception comes first through delay. That's the next blank there on your outline. You have, why are people hearers and not, and not doers? Well, first, they're deceived into thinking that they can be a hearer and not a doer and still be a legitimate Christian. And they're also deceived because they delay. I mean, think about it. Have you ever gotten somewhere and you kind of, fellas, you, you rub your face and, oh, goodness, I've got to shave. And you've got to be somewhere important. You know, you're dressed up in your suit. Listen, I did that once. And I, you know, here I am. I, you know, I had to go. I, my senior year at Murray State, I show up for picture day. With a beard, like, I forgot to shave. It's where I've got these pictures of me with this guy. You know, my beard is kind of red, and that's why I don't grow it out. It's kind of reddish, and you know, I kind of look funny. And so, yeah, I've got these pictures of me from my senior year, and I'm, you know, I've forgotten to shave. Ladies, maybe you've gotten somewhere and you realize that you only, you know, really focused on one side of your face and not the others. I don't know how it works for you. Or maybe there's part of your hair that really got the way you wanted, and and you walked away, and you thought, oh, I'll come back to that in a minute, and you didn't. And you get somewhere, and somebody's kind of looking at you, and, you know, and you're thinking, well, you know, what? And then you look in the mirror again, and you say, oh, you know, I forgot to fix that. I didn't do it. And the truth is that James draws this analogy, and it's true with us as people in the church as well, that it's often true that we'll hear something that stops us in our tracks. Maybe we'll hear something preached, or we'll read something from the Bible, or we'll be reading a devotion, and it stops us in our tracks. And if we don't do something about it right then, if we delay, and we're just like the person who forgets what they look like, they forget what was wrong with them. You forget what your face looked like first thing in the morning, and you don't do anything about it to fix it, to get yourself ready, so to speak. James, with a great analogy, says don't delay. Maybe we figure what we hear on Sunday morning, well, yeah, I'll take care of that later on. You know, there's no real need for me to respond. I mean, he, you know, the pastor, will ask people, they want to come and pray at the altar or something, but, you know, it's kind of embarrassing. I'm not sure if I want to do that or not. You know, I'll just take care of it later. James says, don't delay. The truth is that authentic Christians will rehash what they learn. They'll go over it. They'll deal with what comes to the surface, what they see in the mirror, and they'll immediately address the flaws. So James says one reason for deception is delay. The next reason is distraction. You have deception that comes when we believe that it's okay to be a hearer and not a doer, and maybe we are delaying in our response to it, and that's caused because of 
distraction. He says he looks at himself, goes away, and right away forgets what kind of man he was. You ever been in front of a mirror and, and you get called away, so to speak, phone rings? The kids start yelling at each other or hitting each other or whatever it is. Or, you know, you've got to go, oh, you know, I've got to go do this. Or I just, I need to go grab something and set it where I need to be. And you get distracted, and as a result, you forget to go back to the mirror. You forget to fix what the mirror revealed. And James says that's what a person is like if they're not a doer and only a hearer. They're distracted. That's why often it will be the case that what you hear on Sunday morning will be gone by Monday morning or by Wednesday morning or certainly by the next Sunday. Why? Because we get distracted. Monday happens. Work happens. Kids happen. Family and so on. Whatever it may be, things happen and we get distracted and we aren't focused on God's Word, rehashing it over and over again. You've left the mirror to go fix breakfast, basically. You've left the mirror to go put your shoes on, and you forget what it was that needed to be addressed. The truth is that often in our lives, isn't it true, that we're so distracted, so hectic in our pace of life, so so much with information overload that we sometimes get distracted to the point where we forget what God was saying to us. Folks, this has nothing to do with me as a preacher and how you feel about me. and all that. that that has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with our response to God's Word. I hope you understand where I'm coming from. It doesn't hurt my feelings if you didn't get the quiz right earlier. That's, that's not the point. But the point is I hope that we will be a church, that we'll be people, that will not be distracted by the things of the world so much that we forget what God is saying. So James says, don't be deceived, don't, don't delay, and don't be distracted. I want you to take out your mirror. You've forgotten about it now, haven't you? Oh, we got a mirror. I forgot. Should have been looking at that. Take out your mirror, and I want you, I want you to look at it like you were a little bit earlier. I've got one here. I'll look at it. Look all around. Look intently. Close. It's kind of scary. At least for me, it does anyway. How about that? Looking at the person behind you and making faces at them and all that. I I want you to to think of this morning the mirror that you hold in your hand as analogous to God's Word. Think of this, in a sense, as this is the Scripture. The, The Bible says He looks in the mirror. How then should we handle the mirror of God's Word? I think James makes it very clear, and I want to give you these and we'll close. First is to look closely. Look closely. If you really want to know first thing in the morning what you look like, and even the most minute details, you want to make sure you've covered all that. Guys, you want to make sure you don't even miss a spot shaving right here, which is the hardest part to get. You don't want to miss any of that. Look closely. He says, but the person, the one who looks intently, verse 25, closely, leaning in, Consistently coming back, trying to understand more of the Scripture. Don't be ashamed if you feel like at first read you don't understand what the Scripture means. Nobody nobody has a full knowledge of all that it means. Nobody fully understands every single little detail. We all try to understand more and more each day. So look intently, look closely, he says. Search it, study it, hear it every chance you can. Desire it, keep on looking. Don't run from it. Because why? He says it's the perfect law of freedom. It's complete. It's all-sufficient. It's all-encompassing. It it hits every issue of life. 
And when you look in the mirror of God's Word, what do you see? Well, first you're going to see God's standards. But you cannot read the Bible and not see that God is holy. And He demands holiness from His people. You can't read it and not see that. You'll see God's standards. You'll see His, His law, what He expects from His people. And what else will you see? Well, you'll see yourself and the reality of you. I'll see the reality of me and how the Bible says that how far, how far short of God's standard I, I, I come. You've been there, you ever looked in the Scripture, and you just think, good grief, I'm a mess. But I, I'm not even close to what God wants me to be. Listen, I, you know, every day when I read the Scripture, that's just evident to me. God, how far away am I? So you'll see yourself, the reality of you. You'll see your authenticity. Is it there or not? You'll see the reality of you as a parent, as a co-worker, as a friend, as a grandparent, as a child, as a student. You'll see that reality and how it lines up with God. But let me tell you this. What you'll see also is Jesus. You'll see your Savior and the fact that He makes up for all your shortcomings and, in fact, forgives you and covers all of them and meets God's standards for you if you'll place your faith in Him and commit your life to Him. So you look in the mirror and God's Word will be reflected to you in His standards, and you'll certainly see how you are. But I tell you what, if you are a true believer, the Bible says you look in the mirror and you don't see yourself anymore. You'll see Jesus, because why God looks at you and sees Jesus covering you, He meets the standard for you. So when you look in the mirror closely, you'll see those things. Secondly, James says, not only look closely, but apply the word immediately. Immediately. He says, the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer or delaying or being distracted, but a doer who acts, somebody who puts it into place immediately, continually doing it, not being deceived, not being delayed, not being distracted, but addressing what God reveals immediately, that person that's the authentic Christian. And so this morning, maybe there's something that comes to mind or something you've been dealing with this week, and you say, oh, I know what God has been saying to me. I've been putting it off. I know what God wants me to do, and I've been delayed. I've been distracted. James says, hold, hold on. He says, do it immediately. If God is, is working in your heart in any way this morning, and you don't deal with it before you leave here today, what is likely to happen? Distraction. Monday. Tuesday, job, family, kids, whatever it may be, is going to do all it can to distract you and remove from you the seed that had been planted this morning. So my challenge to you is not because of me, but because of God's Word, to respond immediately this morning to what God is saying. Don't leave here today without addressing, God, I've seen what you've revealed in my life, and Lord, I confess that to you, or God, I want more of you in my life, or whatever it is that God is calling you to do, and leave here having made a commitment immediately. Make adjustments before you leave the mirror, so that you don't wind up with half your face shaven, or one eye with makeup and the other without. Third thing is this, to live in freedom and blessing. What does he say? This is amazing. He says, the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer who acts, that person is blessed in all they do. You know, it's a paradox. How can a law set you free? That law is meant to keep you in place. You know, I, I really believe, and I, I thought about this, how can, how can a law 
set you free. Most of us don't like laws. And we just, just you know, just you, you protect us and all that kind of stuff. But just, you know, don't, don't put a bunch of boundaries around there. You know, that's the way we're created, it seems. It's our sinful nature to just rebel against that. But you realize you can, you can see the law as freedom when you understand the character of the lawgiver. Paul talks a lot about the law of sin. You know where the law of sin comes from? It comes from Satan himself. You know what his character is like? What does, J- what does Jesus say? The thief, Satan, comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's his character. And then you see in the same verse, the, the character of God, the, perf- the perfect lawgiver, what does he say? Jesus says, I have come so that they may have life to the fullest. Do you see the difference between the world system that is set up by Satan and God's system, his laws, his word, that is the perfect law of freedom? Freedom from sin, freedom from the penalty of sin, freedom to be who God really made you to be. It's freedom found in following God, not restriction. We are deceived when thinking that freedom only comes from doing and living however we want to. The Bible says, no, no, no. You're living a life that is certain for destruction, to be destroyed to be stolen, to be killed. Jesus says, I've come to give you life to the fullest. So live in freedom and blessing. Be blessed in what you do because you have obeyed God's word. And then finally, repeat continually. It's like the instructions, you know, when you're in the mirror and you're washing your face and it says, lather, rinse, and repeat. Repeat daily. Repeat continually. What does he say? The one who who looks intently, he says, in perfect law of freedom, and perseveres in it. Who does it over and over and over and over and over again. Sunday morning is not enough. It's not enough. And that doesn't mean that you don't think that, well, okay, our preacher's not any good because Sunday's not enough. It has, it has nothing to do with me. But Sunday is not enough. It has to be every single day. Just like sophomores in high school, you've put away all your things. I'm going to ask you to write one last thing down. One last thing. You've got your mirror. I want you to think about, and just picture in your mind, every place that is around you, in your home, car, wherever, that has a mirror. Just kind of mentally walk through your, your place of residence right now, your home, your apartment, wherever you live. And also your car. You've got a rearview mirror, most likely, unless you got mad at somebody and broke it off. You, you know, you, you've got you've got a a, con, you know, a, a, a what is that? A mirror in the uh, in the in the uh, sun visor. Yes, yeah, in the visor, you got a visor mirror. You've got mirrors in your bedroom, probably. You got mirrors in your bathroom. You got a mirror in the living room. You've got you got mirrors all over the place. So you can constantly and always evaluate what you look like. Now, some of us like to stand in front of the mirror because you think you're really good looking, all right? Others are just paranoid. So we got mirrors everywhere. Something wrong, you know? And so we want to make sure that we've got mirrors everywhere. Here's the, here's the challenge. I want to challenge you to do this. You've got now a mirror that you can carry around with you wherever you go. I would challenge you that as you take this mirror with you, that as you look at those mirrors in your home, that it would not be just a reflection of what you physically look like, but you would be reminded to say, you know what? What do I look like spiritually today? 
And maybe you'd place the mirror of God's Word, His His Scripture, around in different locations. Here's what I want you to write down. I'm going to give you some examples of that, and then we'll close. But maybe in your bedroom you'd place this Scripture, Psalm 113, verse 3. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And maybe first thing when you get up, you'd see that in your bedroom. You'd say, praise God for another day to live. Praise God for another day to bring Him glory. Praise God for another day to maybe reach somebody for Jesus Christ. Praise God that He still is on the throne today. And as you go to bed at night, you can say, praise God that He saw me through another day. Praise God that He still is the same. The Bible says yesterday, today, and He'll be the same tomorrow and forever. Psalm 113, verse 3. Maybe in your car you can put Proverbs 29, 11. A fool gives full vent to his wrath, his anger, but a wise man holds it back. Been there in the car and wanted to give full vent to your anger. I was traveling from Murray to Nashville to Louisville over this last weekend, and I saw a few people that wanted to give full vent to their anger. I just kind of laughed because I used to be the same way, and I've really kind of learned the hard way, you know, and don't do that. Proverbs 29, 11. Maybe put that in your car somewhere. And the next time you're tempted to cut somebody off or lay on your horn or show them, you know, different hand signals and so on, maybe you would, listen, we're in church, we've got to be honest with one another, maybe you would look at that verse and say, you know what, a fool, a fool gives full vent to their hand. I'm not going to be a fool. I'm going to keep my temper in check. I'm going to make sure that I live for God even while I'm driving. Maybe at your computer or your TV. Particularly with the fellows, you'd put Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15, where it says, Drink water from your own well, talking about letting your wife, guys, be the one who satisfies you sexually and her alone. Maybe you'd place that scripture there. Maybe at work, you'd put Ephesians chapter 5, verses 5 to 9, where it says, I work unto the Lord, not to men. I'm not here to please my boss. I'm here to please God. Let me tell you who I really work for. And so it changes your perspective. The boss gives you a hard time. Listen, I'm not here for him anyway. It doesn't mean you got a bad attitude. It just means I'm here to please God in every way possible. Maybe in your kitchen you play Psalm chapter 34, verse 8, where it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. You just be reminded of that, Psalm 34, 8. Maybe in your locker, students at school, you don't have much time left. But you place Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Maybe in your books, students, you just place scriptures like Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, when it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you stand on truth over and over in every, in every book that you have in those public schools where they want nothing more than to throw God out. And to act as if God doesn't exist so that we're not responsible and accountable to him. You just play scriptures that remind you, God is in charge. God is who I answer to. Maybe various places you place Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What a reminder that would be. Or maybe, fellas, you place just in various places, 1 Corinthians six eighteen, flee sexual immorality. Don't fight it. Don't try to be strong. Get out. Flee that. Maybe you'd make up some of your own places. I saw the other day the hat that I wore in my senior year of college. I still have it. It's still nasty. But you know what's in it? A bunch of different verses. Why? Not because I'm some spiritual giant, but because I needed some good reminders when I was on the field. And I just write these verses down. Every time I took my hat off, maybe wipe a little sweat off, I'd look in there, and there are those verses. Maybe you'd make up a place. It needs to be your spiritual mirror. 
maybe you just take this mirror with you and say, you know what, God, every time I, I touch that mirror in my pocket, I reach into my purse, and there it is, or maybe it sits on the car seat next to me, and I look at it, I'm just going to be reminded, what do I look like spiritually today? So, as you look in that mirror, what do you see? You see a person that's surely been changed by Jesus, someone who not just hears the word, but does it? Do you see that person? If you look in that mirror today, the mirror of God's word, is that what's reflected back, or are you just a hearer? Do you respond to God's word immediately? Or are you truly a doer? And I ask you, what have you been putting off? What's the delay again? A decision to follow Jesus? A, a decision to be a better dad, a better mom? A decision to, to do the right things at work? A decision to repent of a particular sin? Or maybe it's it's to say you're sorry to someone to reconcile a relationship? What have you been putting off? And I ask us as a church, James wrote not just to individuals, but to groups. If we look in the mirror of God's word, what do we see? What do we see Elm Grove Baptist Church being? Some churches would look there and see a country club for entertaining Christians. Other churches may look and say, no, 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 we're a rescue station for sinners. What, what would we see? Are we fulfilling the mission of Jesus? You know his mission? Friend of sinners. Seek and save the lost. Go and make disciples. Be his witness. That's his, that's his mission. Are we, are we as a church fulfilling that? Do we operate as a church on the basis of the example and the commands of Jesus or just personal preferences? Which one is it? So I challenge you this morning. I challenge myself and us collectively. Look in the mirror of God's Word. And remember that authentic Christians are changed by God's Word and it shows. So how do you need to respond today? Maybe there's a decision, maybe there's a prayer, maybe there's a relationship that you need to take care of this morning. I challenge you to do it immediately. We won't be here much longer. Don't delay. Don't let yourself be distracted. Respond to God's Word immediately this morning. Maybe you're a person who you say, you know what? I look at my life and I, I think I committed at some point to Jesus and maybe I was baptized and went through some motions and walked an aisle and did all that, but I'll tell you what. There hasn't been an ounce of change since then. There hasn't been anything. Maybe today you say, you know what? I'm just going to be bold and humble enough. Say, I, just, I, I, I need Jesus in my life. Maybe, maybe that's your decision today. But you realize and admit, you know what? Yeah, I'm a sinner. It's like everybody else. I've messed up. But I thank God that he sent Jesus to die for my sins. So that I can live forever with him. So that I can experience abundant life. Life to the fullest here on earth. Maybe that's your decision this morning. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then we'll have a closing song. And I challenge you and encourage you to respond immediately to whatever God is saying to you this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the mirror of your word. Lord, it's tough sometimes to look into that mirror because I know myself, God, I see so many things that need to be addressed. But God, I pray that we would not just be hearers of your word, but be doers. And as what is reflected back to us shows our imperfections, that we would simply cry out to Jesus, asking for forgiveness and asking that he would fill the gaps. Lord, I thank you that he is perfect and sufficient to do just that. He can save and he can empower and he can encourage and he can help us. That you always, Lord, always forgive us when we turn back to you. So, God, whatever decision we need to make today, whatever commitment to you, to our families, 
for whatever it may be today that we need to make. I pray that we do it immediately. We not delay and not be distracted. Thank you for your mirror. It shows us not only your standard and not only our shortcomings, but praise God, it shows us Jesus who makes up for all of that as we place our faith in him. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.